Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. Cyrus, two big questions today in the aftermath uh, and, and digestion of the Jason Yates conversation. How should Christians engage in the political process if they vote? How should they vote? If they do, how? And the inherent evil of socialism or question mark. Yes, obviously, uh, starting starting there. Uh, no, really excited to recap uh, Jason's episode and his interview. A lot of red meat for both of us, I think. For those uh, joining us, this is Cyrus, your socialist brother, and Chase, my Christian brother. And we are going to be, as Chase alluded to, getting into some really, uh, really deep topics. So bear with us, but I think you'll you'll enjoy it. To our first question, should Christians vote? John Sanders answered no. And if anyone's going to answer no, I think you should answer no like John Sanders, very methodically, very self-searching and in a convicted way. I think I agree with Jason out of the gate. Christians should vote. However, I'm still really confused on that because I came out of this conversation, some of our previous ones with this. If I'm going to vote, I'm going to refine how I'm going to vote as a Christian. And how I'm going to be politically involved, because particularly with what's going on in uh, America and our society, I feel like we should really be careful about the biblical values we base our vote on. So it's a weak. Yeah, it's a, as, a, as a Christian, it seems to me from the outside looking in, it's a, it's a very large decision tree that has a, takes a lot of forks. And at any, any one of those junctures, you're sort of receiving contradictory information. So. Is that sort of how you felt when you entered this interview? Yeah, and I, I Jason's, you know, the force of his example and of the folks that, you know, work and, and are associated with My Faith Votes have a reputation of, you know, being involved and, and doing good, as Jason said. And I think that if I had to recap Jason's reason for most biblical values of, of how we should vote is the biblical mandate to do good. It's in most of St. Paul's letters, Peter's and John's. So I think the do good is uh, we can associate why we should vote with, hey, listen, we've been born into a democracy. We are, are therefore stewards. We have a bit of a responsibility to participate in what has been given to us. And it's like for such a time as this, like Queen Esther, a total throwback to the Old Testament, was born for maybe for a such a time as this. Maybe she was the king's wife in order to save the Jews from genocide. Right. So maybe I was born as a Christian into this uh, political democracy to participate in a democracy. So I think mm. that there's good biblical value and reasoning to to vote, to even be an activist in some ways. To participate also, in the system in general. Yeah. I, but I, I have to say it. My one like caution here is I think three things can be done as individuals and as a church. We can engage personally and evangelize to share the good news of Jesus Christ and disciple ourselves and others towards him. Number one, we can do it, reach out for individual souls Two, we can engage our culture in America, sort of like the preferences that we have as a society, entertainment, that sort of stuff. 
And number three, we can engage politically and legislatively. And I'm just really observing over these last couple of decades. And, you know, to Jason's point, I've, I have, these are my set of experiences and it's how I'm interpreting them. As we've done the second and specifically the third, as we've really worked at fighting this culture war, man, we've been losing ground on the individual spiritual and discipleship front. So, so let me maybe start with that. Does that make sense? That's why I'm really re I'm going to probably challenge Jason on, on some of his, the biblical values that I see, and but how we express those. Yeah. Well, because, you know, as a former Christian, I'm, I'm not totally, you know, experienced in all this, obviously um, it's, I've been full, out of it for a little bit, but like my conception of Jesus, it's hard for me to imagine him casting a ballot. He was a political radical in his own time and ways and in other ways not. But it, do you think, I mean, would Jesus have voted? If you, if it's you, it's if a you good question. And I, and I think it's one where some people could write off like, oh, it's, it's a, not an apt comparison because he was in, you know, in, in, under, you know, sort of Roman. Sure, different culture, different context. But, all, all sorts of but here's the thing. And this is, it's a great question because the answer is if I vote, then it's got to be in relation and in harmony to what I'm called to do. St. Paul says very clearly, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Make your own attitude that of Jesus Christ, right? So if I'm voting, it should be with that res respect. Like how is the spirit in Christ in me? Not as how is, how is me as an American voting? I think the, the Jesus in me, and, and particularly the example, I think when he was talking about government, was when he was approached by the Pharisees and the Herodians, two opposite political groups, right? One, basically uh, the, the Roman um, steward in power and the Pharisees who certainly didn't like that, but they were cooperating. And they asked the question in order in front of both types of crowds and the people to basically damned if you do, damned if you don't him. And they sure. said, should we, should we pay taxes? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And he asked for the denarius. And I think it's worth taking a stop on what was on that denarius. On one side, I'm going to trash the Latin so I won't say it, but in English, it basically alludes to his divine authority. The son of Augustus Caesar or you know, Augustus, son of Augustus, basically son of God. And on the other hand, side, Pontifus Maximus, high priest. So we've got a coin as heretical as it gets, son of God, high priest, because the Caesar was the head of the Roman state religion, being the high priest and the mediator sure. between the gods and the people. And Christ says, basically, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's. And I don't think it was a throwaway question, right? So I think under that, I can say, okay, I'm in a democracy. I'm going to give them my vote. You know, I, that doesn't mean I should vote for the lesser two evils, but I'm going to vote. I'm going to participate. Sure. So from that, I glean that, yeah, the Christ in me will vote. There is, there is some responsibility of the Christians to shape their own the world in which they live yeah well so so certainly now here's where i think i'll I, i'm bringing through a filter i don't think and this i asked jason what about the christians who don't want to force their beliefs on other people particularly the people who don't believe in the same author and perfecter of their faiths jesus or god or even the same nature i do right and I think we could probably argue that uh, our founding and our documents were by a, a religious people with religious values, and we might not be that now. And I think there's a lot of confusion of like, well, our constitution was written for a holy, moral, and religious people and is inadequate for any other. Like, okay, I got well, that. 
Yeah, well, yeah. I, I'm quoting I mean, a founding father here. We're not quite the same as American evangelical. No, 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 you're right. I guess what I'm saying is I'm acknowledging that our founding was very biblical, or at least the founders were biblical. Okay. But I don't think that means necessarily today we need to force everyone else through political legislation to abide by the same morals that we have. Right. Well, I and, mean, I think they themselves said that with the First Amendment of the Constitution. Well, and uh, I think- but. Yeah. So just to finish this thought, Jason asked in response to me asking that question or bringing up that thought, he said, like, well, uh, you know, I think the people that would say that you need to check yourself just to make sure you're not making yourself an idol and that, like, on what authority are you doing that? Right. Yeah. And I don't think I'm making myself an idol here. I I don't think so. I'm still open to that, though, because I, you know, I have a propensity to that. And on what authority am I making that decision? I'm making that uh, the authority on that decision out of trying to emulate Christ, Our, my Christ, the Christ of the Bible, Jesus of the Bible, dude did not stick up for himself. He became, he, he, he assumed the form of a slave, taking on the form of man, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. So I, and I'm going to get radical here, and this is more of a thought experiment, but I, this is where I might be moving towards. I should not be sticking up as a Christian for my own political liberties as much as I have been doing, because my Jesus didn't do that. Right. And yeah, I, I mean, and the, the figures that took that inspiration from him are, are mo- generally most revered figures in radical history, like Gandhi or Martin Luther King, you know, like literally turn the other cheek is the fun- foundation of nonviolent resistance. Well, and, and so Jason, one of his, his biblical values that he says, you know, hey, Christians should be voting on is freedom. And I get that. And I think certainly freedom, particularly political freedom through the Protestant Reformation helped the Western society like move faster and grow past the Middle East and East. Right. So there's good roots here. I think I should be using my political freedom that I'm given to defend the defenseless, like a saying from our dad conversation, sitting around the fire and do good. And I don't think do good includes forcing people to abide by the same morals. And I do, and you know, like, and that, that means, and this is going to kind of get crazy. And I know ruffle some Christian feathers out there to the Christian baker or the Christian who owns a motel. If like, should we be able to say as Christians, cause we, like we don't believe in transgender folks like lodging together or getting a trans, uh, uh, a, a gender transition cake that we should deny them service. No, I, I actually think like that's not much different now than telling like an interracial couple in the forties or the fifties. Hey, like we don't serve your kind here. Does that make sense? Right. So like right. we, we've got to grow past this idea that expressing our belief, like, if I, and this is going to sound crazy, but like defend the defenseless and do good in my mind right now, as I'm thinking and praying through this is like, if you can't do it in love, maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Well, that's, that's kind of my, my thought process on it, at least, you know, outside looking in again, but the Christian Baker or whoever who is doing that refusal of service, it isn't doing that out of any fealty to God or fidelity to his faith, he's doing that because I feel like it personally makes him or her uncomfortable. Well, it's about it's, them. so it does make him uncomfortable though. It's a violation of their conscience. And so like, I'm not going to like condemn this person. They don't want to use their um, creative abilities, right. To celebrate something that they don't believe in. Right. Or that they feel, but here's my problem with this back to the Christians. Like you can, you guys got to help me out here. We're so freaking hypocritical with this, right? Like we don't have the same type of moral standard for um, greed or divorce or 
heterosexual sin or other things. And so for us to pick this one in the sand and be like, you know, this is the, uh, this is like, we can maybe, it kind of feels like a last stand, but I, I don't think, I feel like I'm, well, I, I feel like, just trying so, to be like logically consistent. Well, yeah, it, that's, that's one thing I think we try to do here also is like, you know, of course there are moral conversations to be had. Those things are not independent of, of, you know, what you should do in a situation or what type of decision you should make. But we also think about like usefulness a lot, I think, and try, try to think about like, okay, if we want to do good, what is the most useful way to do that? Um, and if Christians see doing good as making Christians out of non-believers, uh, would you say that that is a commandment? Uh, in, oh, man, in a, certainly in a it's sense? a commission. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. it, it's not even a commandment. It's like, it's a compulsion of like, hey, I've had not only my sins forgiven, but I get to have a relationship with God from right. my day to day. Like, I want to share that with people. So does doing stuff like that make Christians out of non-believers? I would submit, no, it, it actually uh, achieves the reverse effect. So, I mean, just from that perspective, I, I and that, just to extend that out sort of to the whole voting your Christian beliefs, I, I don't want to chagrin anyone for voting for their own personal interest or, or what they truly believe. I, I think that, you know, those, those things happen for a lot of reasons. People come to those conclusions for lots of different reasons. What I would say, though, is I don't see how that makes the nation any more actually Christian, but perhaps, perhaps if at the greatest level of success, it can make them more make the country more legalistically Christian. But I think Jesus himself would be pretty uh, offended by that. Well, and it, again, and man, boy, I've had a lot of conversations with folks I, I you know respect who disagree with that, Cyrus. And you know, they would think, oh, well, you know, what? I have a stewardship. There's a kingdom responsibility. We've been given like a, a sphere of influence, or many little kingdom, right, by God, and I should try to share those values and, and instill those values wherever else. Right. And like, for instance, like this, um, one of the, and this is not a direct answer, but Jason's, you know, uh, biblical values of personal responsibility and work ethic. You know, I think he fears sort of like a socialism because that might undergird the idea of personal responsibility and work ethic. Whereas like, Hey, you know, it, he who won't work will not eat. Like there's this idea that we're afraid that we're going to, we're going to support values that will be our own undoing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you mean. I mean, I think that's evidenced by, you know, sort of the, you know, it, one part of our conversation that we had with Jason was uh, about the Capitol riots, um, sort of, and, and okay. this idea that, like, there was, I mean, he said that there was nothing about Christianity that happened there. I don't want to take I put words in his mouth, but it's to paraphrase. It was something. Well, that. I, yeah. I think the essence of what he was saying was that like the church, the body of believers and Christ would not necessarily endorse what happened. Sure. Absolutely true. But that doesn't dismiss the fact that there were a huge proportion of people who were participating in those riots that were motivated by their interpretation of the Christian faith. I don't mean to say that to cast that light on all Christians. I do not think that is the prevailing belief of Christianity. But what I'm saying is if you fully attach your spiritual ideology to some sort of political vehicle, uh, some sort of political movement, then you will always, as you know, we've kind of covered in, in previous episodes too, is it will always be about power rather than the actual uh, belief system. You know, well, so like this is the, the, the more you do that. Let me, 
Sorry for interrupting you. No, no. I mean, I, I think that I'm more or less, you know, you know what? And, and so I'm not defending anybody that stormed the Capitol. I don't, I don't think so. Like I, sure. I think I can say if we believed there was, and if others believed there was truly systematic voting fraud and corruption that transit, that gave an election to anybody, to Trump or Biden or anyone else, then we would all like, there's a time in which we should stand up for that and say, this is wrong. Those people, let's assume believed that. And so even I, mean, I think than, they did. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Even more than the so even more than the people there, I think there's onus on people who um, really called into question past the, the courts were closed on the uh, the voting uh, outcomes. Right. And, and, and the way in which we got to the voters. I'm like, I'll just call it the, probably Trump and Giuliani of people. I mean, I stopped having significant doubts when Bob Barr, our attorney general, said, hey, we don't have enough evidence. Yeah, I mean, when there's like none of the people who put that message out there from, you know, you're on one side, Alex Joneses, and on the other side, you're Pat Robertson's and then Trump and Giuliani and everyone else in the middle. Like those people don't face any accountability for what happened, I I guess. But the people they convinced do. (laughs) You're absolutely right. And so that's a really good example of, hey, how the top thousandth percent don't live by the same laws we do. And that's why, you know, we're partially I'm partially open to your message. I guess what I'm saying is this is like when I go to bat and fight for my Americanism and my rights and my civil liberties, it's really easy to sacrifice my testimony of christ at the altar of americanism and i would mm. rather go down swinging because a lot of christians think you know we're, we're we know how the book ends right and that's and that's generally with high persecution i would rather go down swinging fighting for other people than myself and and that's probably where i'm coming out at this like defend the defenseless certainly the unborn uh, orphans and widows i mean james is super so about that you know uh, immigrants part poor, of what- i would say those types of things Part of what I'm hearing you say then is that Christians should almost embrace persecution in a sense. I mean, like not to say they shouldn't defend themselves or whatever else, but that persecution is is part of the plan. Let me for the process. Let me, let me yeah. Let me quote a, a verse I've recently memorized, and I'm taking it out of context, but it's pretty pretty summative of the context. Philippians sure. two here. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Jesus Christ, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. And then again, back to the, he humbled himself to the point of death uh, by becoming obedient. And so I think that like, we're going to need a history episode on the church and the origin of democracy, a lot like a Brian Sears, but a little bit more of a throwback. I guess I'm just saying that I'm with Jason on voting. I'm, 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 I'm challenged on how we express the biblical values because um well the current way it doesn't seem to be working um, well at least but that's at not least a good to... reason enough to like stop it's not just pragmatism i'm 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 considering uh, even if it's not working i could be doing it right and i should still be doing it even if it won't work and it it's not working sure. i guess what i'm saying is i'm more pulled by the example of emulating jesus in my voting does that make sense yeah no that like wwjv how would jesus vote um I mean, like, I think that's a that's a that's a good way of looking at it. Um, and I think most people probably think that that is how they're doing it. But in reality, there's a lot of other layers. So you're saying you're getting your voting ideas from the red letters. 
Uh, and, well, and the 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 letters from the, the right after the books, right, which help us ex- yeah. uh, like help us live those out in very persecutive like you know Philippians is a really interesting book for someone that's really looking for guidance on this read Philippians two three and four just because I mean you know what Philippi was a province in Rome uh, obviously a city that had a lot of like post military Roman retirees they were very nationalistic right mm. and. So it's not unlike us, right? Um, At least in a sense, yeah. But, proud, proud of where they can't come from. Proud of their, the state in which they they have served. You know, and but I will say one thing to Christians because we we kind of mentioned like this thing about um, whether it be trans or, or gay rights and whatever else. And I think that's like a big issue where a lot of Christians will say, "Well, it's, you know, it's not necessarily what I believe in my own personal practices. I think it's unnatural." Um, and like, you know what, in some of the run ups to this election, we were being told, you know, you know, Sodom, Gomorrah, this and that I Cyrus. And this is not me trying to validate you necessarily. But I think that like as Christians, we need to stop and really consider what God cares about. And let me just read to you something that jumped off the page at me just a, a couple of weeks ago in Ezekiel. Mm. God's talking to um, he's talking about um, the Hittites. He's talking about Samaria. He's talking about Moab. Basically, Ezekiel's laying it down. Judgment's coming. Okay. Um, so I'm taking you into uh, chapter 16, verse 48. So out of context, but I tried to give it to you quickly. As I live, the declaration of the Lord God. And I don't think I've told you this, have I? Oh, no. Oh, dude, you're going to love this. Okay. <laughs> your sister Sodom and her daughters have not behaved as you and your daughters have. Now, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride plenty of food and comfortable security, but didn't support the poor and needy. That's crazy. They were haughty or arrogant and did detestable things before me, or which you could argue are natural things. So I removed them when I saw this. And so uh, that, and and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there another passage where it talks about how the, the real sin of the sodomites was not allowing the visiting angels into their homes like these you know well uh, i mean so lot lets these people into their homes he's visiting angels yeah and basically the men of the town won a forcible gang rape uh, that's what they that's what they want and then when lot offers his virgin daughters they're not satisfied and they're like no we're, we're, we're coming in and so all right let, let's cut that uh, <laughs> um no no but uh no that's that's interesting well so, I, so i, I guess, never so, so, so you never heard that like, justification for sodom well, right. And so and so it makes me stop and go, wait, wait a second. Like, you know what? What, what does God really care about? Right. And um, are we proud? Are we comfortable with plenty of food? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Not help. The right. So that's why a- I think like and, and I think and if you look on the MyFace websites and I've revisited it, they talk about the poor. Right. But I just don't feel like the the poor or widows and orphans or universal health care or universal child care, these sorts of things or that would help some of those things are at the forefront of the Republican Party. And because of that, I feel like as Christians, we need to chart our own way right now. And so that I do, that's one thing, although my faith vote leans right with a lot of their spokespeople, they are reaching out to all Christians. I wrote a lot of postcards to Christians who I would be willing to bet money were not <laughs> Republicans. And so anyway. No, I mean, that's, that's I, fair. So I just, you know, enough ranting yeah, on I, so does that kind of clear of like where my thought process is going and where i'm moving on how i should vote defend the defenseless do good 
and I'm questioning how much I should stick up for myself. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it definitely does. I think one thing that really stuck out to me in our conversation with Jason, especially as he was talking about you know, personal responsibility and, you know, God has a different plan for everybody. Some people, he, he says, you know, the being rich isn't a sin. Some God gives some people more wealth so they can do more. But I do have to question whether someone who has been given pretty much everything would be considered, you know, a, ha, to have luxury beyond measure in any other time and place in human history. Um, that that idea of doing more is working as a, in, you know, a stand in for the GOP. I, I know you said that that he's he's nonpartisan. You wrote a lot of letters to other people, but it's clear that they're mission is to turn out more voters for Republicans. I mean, otherwise their spokesperson than CEO wouldn't be Ben Carson, Mike Huckabee. Now, now I think so, those are well-recognized Christians. I, I, your point's well taken. I guess what I'm saying is though, is that, you know what, he has also received flack, you know, understand, like, let's assume you're right. Let's assume he really is getting, you know, trying to push out votes for the Republicans, which I don't think is true. Then, you know, he's doing countercultural things by bringing on people who, who are you know who are on the left or who are are democrats right um tony evans i mean a a pastor here in dallas is you know has has urged christians to be light republicans or light democrats but nothing more than either you know what i mean and so i and then there he's a pretty big voice in that organization too so i just think that that's that's the part of the organization that i i really like and support well fair enough although i don't think anyone should be encouraging people to vote for republicans or democrats um yeah you know what um yeah that's that's probably the most well said we we, i think we've hammered this point you can see my confusion on it you can see how this is shaping up there's there's just one thing that you know what i think if like if we as christians let's just say assume assumably separated ourselves from republicans and democrats and said these are our priorities like we will vote for whoever does these things there is some stuff that makes a lot of sense like you know, it takes like almost almost 50 grand in America to adopt a child right now. It's like cheaper to be artificially inseminated than That's to adopt like a, a child. Man. Like, how could you how could you not call are, it? Are you kidding me? How as we as, as this many Christians, do we not have a state sponsored adoption process? Where does that money even go? It's at least. Well, I mean, you know, there's, there's medical, there's, you know, legal, da, da, da. like. But what I'm saying is. If we really care about orphans and widows, how do we not have you know, childcare subsidized for widows and a state sponsored adoption process for orphans. Like start there socialists. Like you put that on your party platform line. I'm there. I mean, we, we have that. (laughs) So then I guess you're there. And one, one just, (laughs) let's use this as an opportunity to transition to socialism evil. And I'm going to just take a shot at socialists right now. You guys back some dumb. Now, like, I don't want to completely say this $15 minimum wage is totally dumb because in some cities and some areas, I think it probably makes a lot of sense, but like, I feel like socialists are frustrating more than they are evil because they focus on things like a $15 national minimum wage, where like it would actually have negative repercussions on some places and on a lot of low class workers or lower class workers where they could spend their, their social capital doing things like a state-sponsored adoption process or saying that, hey, we need representation from like wage earners, hourly wage earners on board of directors. That stuff, I'd be like, dang. And then and well, then focusing on the board. Yeah, sorry to rant on you, but that's- No, no, no. I just, I think like, just to stop you a little bit, I, while I think a $15 minimum wage is not going to solve all of our problems, I mean, $15 minimum wage is still 
under $31,000 a year. Yeah. I think sorry, look, so. Not... I mean, what we're, what we're focused on as socialists right now is putting food in people's mouths. State state sponsored adoption processes don't do that in the same way that a $15 minimum wage does. And while I agree that things it's, it's not a perfect system and $15 in Idaho is not nearly the same as $15 in New York. And those, those are uh, complications that need to be worked out. But at the same time, you don't see any, you don't see any Republicans putting forward any relief for the poor or anything like that. So it's kind of like, I don't even think socialists love a $15 minimum wage. I think it's just like, it's a thing. We'll just take what we can get, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just like good people with a lot of the ideology that I've read can disagree with the impacts of it. Right. And then you, you know, have Ben Shapiro filling his cups with leftist tears. And it's like, well, okay, dude, like there are real problems with, I think Jason said it really well. The power struggle is like right now is with the corporations. And, and I'm not, and, and I think this is just me blowing steam off on socialists, but it's, you know, stop calling capitalists evil, evil because technically a small business owner is a capitalist. Like we revere the entrepreneur, the small business owner. It's like what you said in the beginning of the last episode or two, it's the people on private jets that are on boards of directors that are voting themselves raises. And then the companies go bankrupt and people don't get their retirement, but they get a golden shoot paragraph. Like uh, a that, golden that's, shoot. that's definitely true. Although I would not say that a small business person can't be a tyrant, just like a CEO can be a tyrant or not, but well, any, any but, but, but what, you know, shift what, manager can be a tyrant. Any husband or wife can be a tyrant. Sure. Absolutely. Cyrus, let me just cut in right here and say I have ranted as a transition and that's not good form uh, just because it'll make for a sloppy conversation going forward. So let's 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 foundationally move to question two. Is socialism evil? How did that come through in the conversation with Jason? He said socialism is not evil. And I have heard Christians say socialist is a godless religion, a.k.a. evil. So we're making ground here. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I I don't remember fully. I don't know that he he definitely didn't say socialism was evil. I don't know that he didn't say socialism wasn't evil. Well, I, I think um, <laughs> you know what I, I think if if I'm trying to represent his views and and mixing mine in there as well, it's capitalism is a system like socialism filled with people, and people are filled with sin, and uh, there's an enemy out there that will use anything. And I think he thinks that socialism is a little bit more structurally against the biblical values that he has like freedom, personal responsibility, work ethic. Well, see that, that brings us right back to what you were kind of just talking about with the small business owners and and their, you know, ability or or inability to treat their workers with uh, pay their workers a fair wage. Let's start there. That, that isn't a decision that, that doesn't put the decision, which I would say is a moral one of, should I pay my workers enough that they can feed their family? Uh, for all the work they do for me. Uh, that doesn't put the decision in their hands. It puts the decision in the market's hands. I mean, some of them do ha- have control over that, but th- that's why like, I, I don't really, uh, I, cer- I think certain people are possess a certain evilness. Jeff Beesbos, I say that for uh, libel purposes, um, <laughs> but uh, amongst others, but the, rea- the reality is, in my opinion, it's capitalism, which compels people to do things that are, against their moral compass yeah i mean like when he first starts on this conversation of when you ask ways socialism evil he points to like oh you know those european social democracies like or those european countries that are socialist are are not i wouldn't consider them evil or their government's evil which i find 
you know, curious that he points to those because those aren't socialist countries. Um, they are uh, social democracies with, with still a market-based capitalist system. And those spoils that they have, the ability to pay for all their health care and, and you know, a very high quality of life for everyone, do come from being a former colonial power. You know, so in my opinion, they are they do have a certain claim on a certain evilness. But what's interesting about that is he the reason he gives for that, that why socialism might not be the best method for Christians or why it's counter to their ideals is, oh, Christianity is is far less active in those countries. Yeah, Um, that, you know, they they don't have the same sort of Christian uh, background that we do. And that's not a priority for them, which I don't know. I've never been there. I I don't know for sure. But according to surveys, this is from Pew. It's worth noting that in 2017, Pew found that 60% of Swedes identified as Christian, 60% of Germans identified as Christian, 54% of the French. Well, Cyrus, Um, let's be real. And, you know, (laughs) no American evangelical is going to say a French evangelical is worth their, you know, is is a pound for pound American Christian. Hey, (laughs) hey. Fair enough. And we can debate the merits of uh, and, and, uh, and cons of American Christianity at another time. But I don't think I think most people would think most South American and Latin American people are pretty devoutly religious, especially considering like Venezuela, who 88 percent of people uh, either identify with Catholicism or Protestantism, some Christian faith. So is that the reason Venezuela is so much worse of a socialist country than these other socialist countries he talks about? I guess what I'm saying is, is there isn't really a connection between, I mean, there, there may have been at one point, um, but there doesn't need to be inherent conflict between Christianity and socialism. And then, well, let me, let me summarize, but also again, add in maybe more of my voice here and try to cut to the chase of it. Capitalism thrives with things like work ethic and sort of makes money off of and creates wealth out of people's selfishness and vanity where socialism, as you've said, shares the suffering. And I don't want to share the suffering of someone who's not going to work. And so that's kind of how it's couched. Well, I think that's fair to a certain extent. And I don't think anyone would want to do that, uh, at least to their, you know, if someone can work, I think we would all expect them to contribute in whatever way they can. Um, That's not, I don't think a radical thing to say as a socialist. I think most socialists, I mean, as we've talked about before, Marx himself is extremely pointed about his belief that work is an essential part of the human experience. But that kind of leads me into another thing that uh, Jason talked about, bringing it back to the early church and Acts um, and, and how the Christians in, in that book uh, lived in common. They sold all their possessions. And, right. And giving things freely of their own basic choosing. Giving, yeah. thing, get, giving things freely. And he, he, he makes that point to say, well, OK, Christianity is, uh, you know, th- or that situation, it wasn't coerced. And, and what's great about, you know, our current capitalist Christian system is it's not coercive, which I think on one hand is not necessarily true, because if there's a lake of hellfire that uh, you end up in, if you don't love God to his standard, then that seems fairly coercive to me. If we were to extrapolate that out to a human relationship, we would call it abuse. Well, um, quick, quick, quick. I mean, you know what? <laughs> no, Jesus is very clear that, you know what? Um, one, love God and love people. Romans 2, I think, is clear enough about 
what happens if people have never heard the name of Jesus. And Jesus is basically saying, I'm offering you freedom from any kind of worry or concern about what happens with you, everlasting paradise and a relationship with God. It's a free party. And I've offered you that access. So I, I guess what I'm saying is if you're looking at just the, 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 the punishment, okay, but you're not taking the whole picture into perspective. Fair enough. Uh, but I, I mean, I think in, in some ways, capitalism is much the same way. I, I mean, I'll just use a short example. And I don't think she would mind me using this. I won't use her name, but I have a coworker friend at work who just diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Okay. She's 27. So pretty young. She works as much as she can, but she's in constant pain. And when I talked to her about, Hey, you should look into getting disability. She told me that she can, she can only get disability if she makes less than a thousand dollars a month from her job. So she's currently in a situation where she's in terrible pain from working, but she can't quit because she has too many bills to be able to do that. She can't, she can't even leave her current job and she has to work more hours than she's really physically capable of because if she worked less hours and then took the disability, she'd be making less than she currently is. If that's not coercive, I don't really know what is like her options are none. She does not have any except to continue working through her disability. And so, you're, uh, so, so, and I'm, I'll push you on a little bit because I've had some of our viewers reach out to me and be like, yo, look, you need to push Cyrus a little bit more on the, the solution side of it. Sure. Okay. So I, I agree with you. Uh, greater social safety nets for people, particularly with, you know, disabling diseases. Um, what's the, what's the, what's the solution to that? Well, I mean, I think the solution to that is very much what the, the people in acts uh, decided. I mean, obviously we're not going to get there right away, but like, I think it's worth noting that those people were the closest to Christ, the, the earliest Christians. Yeah. Uh, and they looked at a world that was t- telling them essentially, you know, it was a hostile environment for early Christians. Yeah, man. They were litting, being lit like Roman candles. Yeah, a- absolutely. And it was about survival. And they understood inherently that their survival as a Christian was tied to the survival of other Christians. And I don't think that metaphor stops at Christians is what I'm saying. I think that we need to re-realize, re-understand our health, our welfare, our own strength, our own ability to move about in the world freely is tied to other people's abilities to do that also. Okay. So, so... And if, if you don't I, I know a, that if, sounds abstract, uh, I can, I can well, bring it kind it of is, it kind of is. And, and, and I, I want to, I'm going to re-ask you this question, but I'll give you a, a chance to think about it, about the solution. And if you think it's a mindset shift, it's an evolution of conscious. Okay. But like, what do we do with that? Because Jason, I think all something I agreed with that he really pointed out and I appreciated was this like devolution and abdication of um, responsibilities, real important responsibilities from the individual to the family, particularly from like, you know, kid uh, leaving high school or college to, you know, family taking care of them from family to church or to business, particularly family church. Jason was self-critical there. And I appreciated that when he said like, Hey, we're relying on Sunday school teachers to teach our kids morals and about the Bible or teachers to teach our kids, not just math, but like what's right and wrong. And we're relying on government to take care of our poor. And I think in Jason's world, uh, he articulated that like the church is empowered to do some of the things that we're relying on government to do. And Jason's, I think, fear is a socialism would entrench government as the main actor of solving things. Does that make sense? 
It definitely makes sense. Uh, I understand that line of logic, but I mean, right now we're in the most capitalist country in the world. We, our churches don't even pay taxes and there's still just an insane amount of need out there. There's more churches in the United States. Uh, they, the United States has a higher church density rate than probably any country in the world. And yet we have, you know, millions of people living beneath the poverty line in the richest country on earth. I think Let's that, show that, that, strikes, that, that's that contradiction is very striking. to me. Um, so what I would say is that like, you know, Jason gets really close to an important conclusion, <laughs> in my opinion. You know, when, when he's talking about debating uh, the difference between capitalism and socialism and how it's about power, I agree. I think he's right uh, that a socialist society would indeed put far more power in the hands of government. That's undeniable. That's true. And I can see how people looking at our current government would say, why would we do that? But what I would point them to is that what, what Jason said next, which is like, well, yeah, I guess you could say that in the hands or in, in capitalism, the power is in the hands of corporations. And then he doesn't go any further. But if you take that to its further, you realize the government is, uh, is in the hands of, of the corporations. Like what that is with the current system that we're operating under. And at least if the government has power and we live in a democracy, which is something I very much believe in, then ostensibly that government would be accountable to the people. Right now, the government's only accountable to bankers and to financiers and to the titans of industry. They don't care about what we think. They have, they have no, they have, why would they have any reason to care what we think? So just starting from that general point, you know, we, we need to fix that at the very, at the very least, um, our relationship to the government and, and, and businesses' relationship to the government. And from my perspective, and I think this perspective of most socialists, they would say under capitalism, it will always end like this. It will always end with Facebook manipulating people's emotions online. Uh, I mean, not exactly this, but in our current context, Facebook literally manipulating people's emotions and selling our data uh, so that they can sell products. Jeff Bezos and Amazon, like making workers pee in bottles uh, while they're working in a warehouse for, for $15 an hour. For, well, I you know, mean, so, and I don't want to get lost in this, but like, okay, those are good problems without hopefully Christian managers in there because that they shouldn't be, you know, doing those sorts of things. So, but besides reaching people's hearts individually and helping them transform into, you know, more, you know, loving God fearing people, right? Like, well, it, the way we do that, in my opinion, is by fighting for these things that would benefit all of us by fighting for things like universal childcare for single mothers and widows, uh, you know, so that the mothers can work and have the ability to have someone take care of their kids. It's just one fewer expense, one fewer thing they have to worry about. Like when you are working together side by side with people for your own interest and also for their interest, you begin to reform those links of communal responsibility. You begin to see the ways in which their welfare is tied to your welfare. Uh, and so, it, so it, it like, yeah, these things like universal childcare is a good on its own. Universal healthcare is a good on its own, but the higher good in a way is building back those bonds of community that frankly, w whether or not you think that the church is the best source of that community in the United States, it's failed to keep that together. The community has disintegrated and yet, like I said, there's still more church, higher church density rate than probably any country in the world. Well, I do think if you're looking for community, like I've mentioned, 
you know, life groups, Bible groups at, 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 a, at a church doing it right and, and believers loving each other well is, you know, they're showing up with meals. You like they'll, they'll set up meal trains for you when you have children or they'll come and sit shivas, you know, when you lost somebody and, and mourn with you, these sorts of things. So I, I think there's still a lot of that there. Well, I don't think that's bad. And I think people should pursue those things if, if that's what they care about. And if they, they, they're compelled by their faith and by their, their logic to do those things, then I, I'm not one to stop telling them they shouldn't. What I'm telling you is there's also other ways to do it. It's by joining people on a picket line who are fighting for fair wages and fair working conditions and hours. Um, it's by, you know, joining up with a community organization that's fighting for more public funding for education or parks or better roads. Like, you know, when you reach, when you do this, you're interacting with people you normally wouldn't be interacting with, you know, like, and socialists are the same way. I think as, as Christians sometimes is like, it's a fairly insular culture and they don't really like to mingle with people necessarily who don't share their beliefs. But for both of us, for both of our sakes, that cannot be the way that business is done because the, it's not going to achieve either of our goals. <laughs> so, uh, in fairness, I agree with you, but I think you need to come back and, and going forward, not come back, but going forward with actionable items. Because I, I take your actionable item is um, get off your phone, especially as COVID is winding down, hopefully, and go engage at places that you haven't engaged before, whether it's your school board meeting, your homeowners association meeting, or you know what, or if there's a protest or something like that, go, go do things, go be civically involved, particularly locally, mingle with people and, and try to understand other people. Um, I don't necessarily think, so I think that's good and that's actionable. And you know what, Cyrus, let's keep each other accountable to that. I think I might walk doors for our neighbor who's running for school board because I like her. I don't even know her politics, but that's just it. Like I'll vote for, you know, someone who I don't agree with politically if I believe they're a good mom and a good neighbor especially yeah, if it's someone. on something that's it's local right um, i mean i think we across the board we could use more people of character well uh, <laughs> i guess what i'm saying though is like solidifying forward for me and for our listeners and in socialism in, in general some key marks that like other people can buy into that are the universal child cares the universal health cares like coming up with a gold-plated hey we have our top 10 or our top five or our top three that I can go, okay, because like socialism, again, is like a different structure. I'm thinking like state ownership of enterprises. Like, you know what I'm saying? And that's, that's. Well, listen, like, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, maybe we will get there someday with a government that is capable uh, and filled with citizens who have a certain patriotism and a certain level of commitment to the project to make those things work. Right now, would I say I want our government to nationalize every industry? I would say probably not. I don't think we're ready for that. I think these are, are important first steps, though, in order to get there. Like I said, it's about building those, you know, those those, those ties that bind or, or re, reforming those. Um, I guess I just so, want to yeah, keep, for me, keep the brakes on you, though, and just say, like, to keep, like, you told me to stop, you know, Amazon for keeping employees or letting employees, forcing employees to pee in bottles, we need to become more engaged with our citizenry. I agree with you. I just think that's an indirect call to action and support things that are, you know, what universally beneficial. I'm willing to do that. Now I've changed my position on that. 
I then, you know, what would say then if we're, if we're getting big, then, you know, you and socialisms, please consider Jesus, which are, you know, is the transformer of souls as well. You know what I'm saying? Well, and, and, and that's another reason why I feel like the real, where the real work is going to be done for, for both of our, our, you know, respective ideas and causes is in the workplace because that is one of the few places left where we still interact with people who believe different things than we do, do those types of things. If as a socialist, if you're asking me what is my most important priority, what do I think is the number one priority for socialism right now, or, or just not even for socialism, but just like the preservation of the country, I would say it is building worker power through unions and that, you know, so, Hey, uh, at the very least call your congressman and tell him to support the pro act. But Beyond drop a link. that, I drop a link to the pro act in the show notes for us. Yeah, we'll we definitely will do. Uh, and, and I think that's a topic we'll continue to get into a lot, but you know, those, those are conversations that you workers are having. Uh, you know, when, when you talk about things like first, Hey, doesn't it seem weird that we work all this time we get paid so little and we get treated so poorly. What's up with that? That's while, one while thing. These... Uh, sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. And let's 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 wrap it up here because I want to have I want to have a closing thought. I want to give you a closing thought. But I also think, you know, when you start talking about us working a lot, I know you were uh, passionate for a a few days this last week or two on Jason's comment on debt and how debt was a sign was it was like a and, and personal stewardship, personal responsibility was a biblical value. And you just had kind of run some thoughts on that. Wanted to give you an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, that'll be. We'll just use that sort of as a closer, um, just because I do think it's representative of a larger problem, or you know, just sort of the the general propaganda we get in in this country that debt is a personal failing, uh, and yet everyone's a debtor, and debt is your you know you being weak or lazy or irresponsible. However, I think that's a very useful own, uh, very useful for owners and bankers and politicians. Because it obscures the, the, the essential fact that those, that debt is key to the, run, the maintenance of the American economy. Back before unions were destroyed in the 70s and especially the 80s, workers, were, were, workers' wages were tied to their productivity. As productivity went up in the United States, as more output was produced, workers got paid more. Uh, and that was essentially the bargain they had made with FDR and the New Deal. That, hey, we'll slow down on all this crazy communism and socialism talk if uh, you just pay workers fairly based off of, you know, the work that they do. And, and that was the arrangement for a while. However, in the early 70s, as productivity slowed, although still increasing and still increasing today, uh, but as productivity began to slow, owners and CEOs and, and, those, and bankers and those in the know realized that they could not continue to make their level of profit and still pay workers for what, how productive they were. Uh, so since then, wages have not been tied to productivity at all. And the thing that they did to make up that difference in consumption as workers made less for doing more work was debt. That was the only way to make up the gap. And when 70% of the American economy is, is consumer spending, that's a pretty freaking important gap. So, you know, when I hear things like, oh, you know, debts, you shouldn't be in debt, blah, blah, blah. If that was the case, then the American economy would be destroyed. It thrives on debt. It needs debt. And what I'm asking is, 
why exactly do we have a system that compels us to do so many things that are against our own self-interest? Uh, why do we, you know, why do we, why are we so defensive of a system that actually requires us to put ourselves in debt, that actually requires us to not pay workers fairly? I, I guess just my general larger point is, although I'm not expecting to convert a lot of people to socialism, just consider the idea that it might be a system that doesn't ask you to do so many things that are antithetical to your faith, in my, at least the way I see it. Well, I think that's a fair bridge. I will say in a shorter closing to the Christians out there that I think that socialism, I agree with you, Cyrus, and respect that the failings of the American Christianity has created a vacuum, particularly for the poor and immigrants and orphans, widows, these sorts of things. I would like a link in the show notes also on the productivity um, increase and then decline in the 80s. However, I, I think just that, you know what, for us to be, for Christians, be wary of being staunch arch defenders of, of, of unbridled capitalism. Um, because I think going forward as America becomes more favorable to thoughts of socialism, the only capitalism that will win out that should win out is an enlightened, humbled capitalism, one in which that is more loving and that is, I think, closer to our faith, that does more to check vanity and greed um, of those who have a lot more than those who don't have a lot. Well, if, if that's the position, I, I think if I, I would hope that most Christians would come to a, a similar somewhat conclusion. And I think most people, Christians, socialists, otherwise, can see that there is, there is someone that is benefiting from our misery. You know, when the vast majority of Americans have been suffering miserably for the last year, financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, otherwise, and American billionaires get billions and billions, trillions of dollars richer, I think we might have a common enemy, as I guess what I'm saying. And maybe let's maybe let's start there. Maybe when you see things like Jeff Bezos scrambling to get to Bessemer, Alabama, uh, so to try and prevent his union uh, or his workers there from forming a union, maybe we should all look at that and be like, well, if he's so worried about that, maybe maybe there's something to it. Maybe maybe it threatens his power in a way. And I think Christians and socialists alike probably look at Jeff Bezos and say they don't want him in charge of everything. Well, I'll give you the last ideological point with that and say, okay, then we need to double down, Cyrus, and continue to encourage each other to relate. How about your guy at your work, the guy that doesn't, you know, speaks poor English? Have you reached out to him? Yes, I did. I uh, gave him some fig and pomegranate jam, courtesy uh, of Jam Sessions Idaho. Uh, jam, if you haven't been to Jam Sessions Idaho, you're wrong. You need to go there. There are cocktail jams now. That you can literally heat it up in a glass <laughs> jar, put it in a blender, and you've got the best party trick that is delicious for your friends and family. This, this, the whole conceit of this podcast is just a cover for advertising for jam sessions. But he, it put, it did put a big grin on his face, and I was happy to do that. I, I'm still working on on learning bits of Farsi here and there. It's not not the easiest thing for me. A uh, type him up a letter with Google Translate, and you know what, uh, and 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 hand it to him. You know that's a that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Um, uh, I'll definitely do that. But I'm, I'm gonna. Um, I think I'm gonna walk doors for our neighbor, 
And, you know, we've been actually the recipients of a lot of, a lot of love and blessing. Um, Cato's one month old yesterday. So having people drop meals and man, just getting showered with other gifts and these sorts of things, it's really storing up like, wow, like, you know, we're being loved a tremendous amount. So if I can put one more, uh, one more quick plug in there, I've been working with a group called Reclaim Idaho. Uh, they passed Medicaid expansion here in Idaho a couple of years ago, and they are ramping up a new campaign that they started last year, but was cut short by the pandemic to expand education uh, funding in Idaho by um, doing a wealth tax on uh, people who make over a certain amount of income. I believe it's $250,000, I believe, and it'd be just tax on that. Anyways, they're still in the process of getting enough signatures to make it a citizen initiative to put it on the ballot. But Idaho Republicans have passed a law to severely restrict the uh, ability of putting citizen initiatives on the ballot. It's an extremely anti-democratic measure. It was only put in after uh, Medicaid expansion was passed by citizen initiative. So the only chance, my understanding, for that not to pass at this point is for Governor Little to veto it. He has once. Anybody who's in Idaho or otherwise call Brad Little's office, tell him to veto that bill. I think it's, it's critically important for both democracy and, uh, you know, the, the ability of citizens to take some responsibility and ownership over the political system. Beyond that, Chase, any books or movies you've been reading recently? Baby wise, um, doing yeah. that. And I, I've been really digging into scripture though. I mean, I've, um, God's been calling me in some paternity leave to memorize a lot of scripture. And so the Philippians passages I've been in recently is, is where Mike, my nose has actually been. What about you? Um, yeah, you know, I've been, uh, well, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard new album LW came out. Very good. Highly recommend it. Uh, books wise. What am I, uh, what am I reading these days? A lot of schoolwork. Uh, and beyond that, what are you studying? Uh, well, this semester, it's stats and macroeconomics, uh, which is not exactly my strong suit. Uh, uh, I like macro, but stats. I hope I'm more of a talker. Hopefully, this podcast isn't proving that wrong. But yeah. uh, <laughs> anyways, all right, man. Well, it was, uh, it was good talking to you. Um, and thanks for coming, everybody. Yeah, I love you, man. Love you, too. And this has been a contest over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. This has been Cross Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank... Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs and uh, look forward to seeing you next time.